when you go through all that trauma of trying to conceive and you're failing cycle after cycle is not working, you start to embed those feelings inside and you start to attach yourself to those outcomes when you really shouldn't be. But that's kind of inevitably what happens because you feel like I'm a woman, I should be able to conceive. That's kind of one of my roles as a woman. And you tie yourself to it. And that's when your identity and your confidence about yourself starts to really like plummet. You're listening to Mom After Hours, a podcast where we talk about the wins and challenges of being a modern mom. For real, we don't sugarcoat and we cover everything that is taboo. And don't you worry, mama, we'll save a seat for you. Hello, hello. Welcome to Mom After Hours. This is your host, Brandy Wyattrack. Thank you for joining me today. On today's show, we are talking with Josephine Atlery, an expert in meditation and host of the Responding to Life podcast. Psychology Today describes resilience as that ineffable quality that allows some people to be knocked down by life and come back stronger than ever. And rather than letting failure overcome them and drain their resolve, they find a way to rise from the ashes. And whether it's bouncing back from trauma, tragedies, health problems, or stress, it takes a special kind of person to remain positive and optimistic when your world becomes overrun with hardship and pain. And our guest today is one of those special people with a gift of mental fortitude. She opens up about her difficult journey of becoming a mom to five using IVF, surrogacy, and international adoption. And she talks to us about how those challenges and circumstances related to those experiences helped her find courage and ultimately led her to peace. And one of my favorite parts of today's show is she actually teaches us some simple breathing exercises and other stress reduction techniques to keep a calmer home. She has five children under 13 living under her roof, (laughs) y'all. She is an expert at this. And she also gives us some easy ways to live more joyfully. So sit down, mama, relax, and let's dig in. So I always knew that I wanted to become a mother. Primarily, it's because of my upbringing. So it's just me and my, I have a younger brother who's three years younger than me. But we all lived, at least in the beginning, we all lived in this duplex in Chicago, on the north side of Chicago. And I would go upstairs and visit my grandmother's place and my many aunts and uncles and my cousins would be there. So every day it seemed like I was really part of this bigger unit and this bigger family. And that is when I look back on my childhood, those moments when I was with my big family, those were in my joyous moments. And so I always knew in my heart that I wanted to replicate that feeling and that would require children, which, and I just love children and a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you have how many children again? I have five kids. Yeah, you yeah. love kids. I'm one of five too. So it, oh. I think it's funny that, you know, people who have like one or no siblings, they tend, like when I talk to them, they tend to, you know, like want more siblings. They're like, man, I wish I came from a big family. Or they had, you know, a lot of cousins and they're like, yeah, I just want to have a big family. But then those, 
who come from big families were like, oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had a lot of fun growing up and fighting over bathrooms and, you know, struggling, (laughs) sharing beds, things like that. But when I hear someone say that, it makes me appreciate what I had too. Cause you know, growing up, it, it's kind of different. And I'm like, you know, I'd always complain that I had to share a room with my sister. I was always sharing a room, sometimes even sharing a bed. And, you know, there was a lot of struggles and, you know, especially in the mornings, Mm -hmm. trying to get ready is a pain in the neck, but I love hearing it from someone who, you know, has one sibling or, you know, not tons of siblings and they say, Oh, I wish I, you know, I'd always wanted that. It makes me, it makes me appreciate what I had more. <laughs> yeah. Although I'm a little worried that I might be traumatizing my kids and that they'll never give me grandkids. So. Oh no. <laughs> Cause it's too, cause it's too loud and hectic. So what are your ages? Yeah. What are the ages of your kiddos? My eldest is turning 14 next week and, uh, I have two sets of twins. The middle ones, they're 11 boy, girl twins. And then my youngest are four years old and they're both boys. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Do you drink coffee or do, are you a tea person? It's right here in front of me. I was about to say, I'm like, I know that coffee is like the language of all moms, but I've, I've, I've talked to some moms like, no, I, I can't drink coffee. I'm like, how do you do it? What? How do no. you do it? I'm like, I, I don't know how anybody can do it without some kind of caffeine or right. yeah, in meditation, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, so you've got five kiddos and you've gone through some pretty traumatic experiences and navigated some rocky paths to become a mother, including IVF, uh, international adoption, and surrogacy. Can you share how your motherhood journey began and how you ultimately arrived at where you are today? Absolutely. Well, my, my husband and I, you know, he went through an illness back in college. And so we knew that once we were ready to have kids that we would have to immediately go into IVF. And so we, you know, we were married for a couple of years, enjoyed that. And then right when we were ready to go, we found a doctor and we started doing IVF cycles for a couple of years that never worked. Uh, it was a blend of just not cycles failing or ectopic pregnancies. And then we decided to switch facilities after two years. And then I became pregnant with twins and by the second semester, I thought we were in the clear. And then come at 17 weeks, I lost the, the babies. And it was at that point that I had to really take a pause because up until that moment, I had been going you know, like back-to-back cycles. And when I decided to take that pause, that's when we really evaluated what it meant to be a family and how to create our family. And we realized that it can be made in some uh, family can be made in so many different ways. And that's when we pivoted to international adoption. And so we adopted our first son, uh, who's, as I mentioned, is turning 14 uh, next week. And, and then after that, we, we finally became a family. We, we enjoyed watching him grow up. Uh, we brought him here from Kazakhstan when he was 10 months old. And after a year, you kind of, you know, it's almost like a, a, a cloud has been lifted 
and all this weight from all that sadness has been removed from you because now you're joyous and you're a mom now. And so then we decided to try IVF one more time. We went to a third facility and I again became pregnant with twins. And this time, you know, they threw the kitchen sink at me. I was on bed rest. They closed up my cervix and I was able to carry them to 40 weeks. And those are my, um, my middle twins, the boy and girl who are now 11. And then during that, during that cycle, we retrieved so many eggs that turned into really great embryos and we froze them. But after that pregnancy, I knew that I couldn't do it again. So we thought about surrogacy, but it's really cost prohibitive. So we saved up for a number of years. And that's why there's such a big gap between my two sets of twins. When we were finally able to entertain the idea, we found this amazing surrogate who is forever in our hearts. And she carried the my boy twins for us. And that's how we created this modern day family, as I like to call it, using these non-traditional methods. That is awesome. What a journey that is. That's amazing. And that you, you wanted to become a mother and you literally, you got it all. And you, how do you, how did you prepare for something like that? Like, I mean, obviously there's so, so many dynamics. So I'm interested about the international adoption. How difficult is that process? Like how, where do you even get started with adopting internationally? Well, we, we were lucky in that we knew one other couple at the time that had adopted successfully their daughter from China. So we decided to use their company and we were living out in New Hampshire at the time. So there weren't that many facilities that were local to us that we could work with. But this particular agency did have Kazakhstan as one of their countries because they don't represent all countries. And Kazakhstan was very um, intriguing for us because it was a much shorter wait. Typically with international adoptions, the wait time is around two years. And I don't know if that's the same now. Um, But with Kazakhstan, it was was about less than a year, which was fantastic. Oh, wow. doing IVF for so many years. I was so impatient. I just wanted to be a mom already. And I thought, well, let's go with this program since it's so short. The reason I think that a lot of people didn't go with that country and they don't, they actually closed for adoptions now is that you had to live out there for a month, which most people you just can't do. Oh, no way. Oh, so you actually had to live out in Kazakhstan for a month. Wow. You really, really took a Right. Interesting. Wow. How was that experience? You know, I was at uh, at that point, I was just ready to do whatever it took to just become a mom and like love a child that I was ready to do it. And so was my husband. You know, many of these countries, you just go, you get your referral, you go in to fly and meet them and then you bring them home and that's it. It's just a matter of a few days. But there, that requirement of living out there, it actually was in retrospect, really, it was a really great experience to be able to have and to be able to talk about about with my son. Because yeah. kids who are adopted have so many questions and it's, it's heartbreaking because many of them you can't answer. Mm-hmm. But because of that experience of living out there, I am able to answer some of those questions about like what what was it like to live out there? What were the people like? What did they eat? What did they do? So I'm, I can actually make an informed response for him about what his culture is like. So that, it was a month and it was really crazy out there because I've never lived out of the country before, but it was 
it was really beneficial, I think, in the long run. No, I think so too. I mean, especially for you to learn more about his culture. And I'm sure at the time you might have may have been hesitant, but you know, looking back, like you said, to to have been able to experience the people from his culture and get to know people and just see the kind of lifestyle that he possibly could have had if he stayed out there. But I think the biggest part is the culture because it's like, that's a question that we always ask ourselves when we get older. It's like, who are we? Or we want to learn more about right. our ancestors or, you know, where did we come from? Or who, who like, who are my people? So I yeah. think that that's, that's pretty cool. Is that why they had that as a requirement? Did they want them as new parents to kind of get to know this is where your child's coming from or? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, like I mentioned, the country has closed now for adoptions, which is really sad. However, I think that was a big part of it is that they wanted us to really be invested in in the country and for them to also be able to see how we interacted with our child because you know we would go there daily to the orphanage and do visits uh, just for a couple of hours. And then the rest of the day we were off on our own exploring the city and it's not even really a city, but I believe that's, that's why they had that requirement. And and then the other thing was that, you know, with Kazakhstan, they didn't give you um, what they call a referral right away. So when you go there, you just get a call saying, okay, it's time for you to go out. There is possibly, um, this uh, a male baby for you and it's time to go versus I think other countries you get a lot more information you can make that decision beforehand before going out so I think that was another reason why that program wasn't as popular and it was it went much faster for us wow wow yeah yeah but to answer your question before about how it felt like emotionally uh, coming from having just had that loss of the twins it was really frustrating for me to go through the initial process of all the paperwork and the home visits or the home study as they call it and all of the all of the extra requirements that were necessary to apply. You know, I traded all of the injections and doctor's appointments for instead paperwork and interviews and letters of recommendation. And it was just so odd. Yeah, it's like getting into that. college or something. It was. It was. And you know, had a lot of pent up frustration and anger about it in that, you know, like, why do I have to prove that I would be a good parent? I I know that I'm going to be a good parent. And the fact that I'm going through all these steps kind of shows that I'm going to be a good parent. So it was a Mm -hmm. little, I had to grapple with that throughout the process, but you know, it all went away once we were out there. So it worked out. Yeah. I mean, I'm not to say that you weren't strong before, but damn, you've got to just You've got, it takes a special kind of person to, to handle all the things that you've gone through. I mean, ignoring the paperwork and just the amount of work that goes into, you know, adoption or IVF or surrogacy and all of that, but just that's very traumatic experiences in so many things all at once. How did you process that? That's a great question. And I've written a couple of articles about my process of grief and loss. And in terms of the immediate loss of the twins, that was a very traditional like grief process where I allowed myself to just feel all the feelings that came up. You know, I took a break from all the obligations that I had in life and I was okay with just just being like taking time for myself. And and I felt like I really adequately grieved that process such that I was ready to 
finally move on to adoption. But in terms of grieving, like the trauma of just in general trying to conceive, I felt that I really just buried everything inside and internalized it because at the time, like I didn't have anyone to talk to aside from my husband. There were no support groups. There were no Instagram or Facebook groups about infertility. Uh, there were no support groups that I actually went to. And, and many of my friends, because we were married first, weren't, were not anywhere near that, that step. So I didn't know anyone going through this. And it was really difficult. It was really isolating and frustrating. And it didn't come out until much later that I really needed to address all of these feelings that I had buried inside. And it, you know, unfortunately it manifested into an eating disorder. And the reason I was able to see how it came from all of that was because all of those issues that were popping up were very similar to that eating disorder, but also to what I went through in terms of wanting to have control over things, wanting to not feel like a failure and feeling like I was able to just succeed in something. And, and so that is when I finally felt like I was able to really deal with all the emotions that I had buried. And this happened actually after the, the birth of my middle twins. So it's much later, like it just sort of popped up as I was training for a race and I was already a mom of three kids. And it was, you know, it just took me by surprise that all these feelings popped up because I never fully dealt with them. It's, it's when we don't deal with them, then that's when they just keep popping up. I mean, I'm speaking from experience too, where it's, it's hard to work through those thoughts, especially if you don't have those support systems. I mean, I guess we can just say, you know, therapy or counseling is available, but it's hard when you didn't have the friends that you can kind of talk about it with, or, you know, everything that we have now today, you know, with the Instagram and the Facebook groups and fertility coaches, and there's so many resources, but back then, that's hard to to kind of feel like you're you're dealing with your your problems and your traumas like in a bubble and although it's great that you had your husband we know how it is as women like there's just certain things that we can't talk about with our partners and maybe maybe you can talk with them but they don't understand it from you know the female perspective or the impact that it has on the woman. So you mentioned that you were doing races. Is that one of the things that kind of helped keep you grounded and kept you moving forward and staying positive? Yeah. So in my toolkit back in the day, like there was there was no talk of self care about fifteen or so years ago when I was starting to build my family, and and so all I really had was working out. And that has always been a constant in my life. That has always been something that helped me deal with stress and really made me feel good about myself and as my alone time. So yeah, I was actually needed a new goal in life. I wanted to shed some of the baby weight and I decided I'd never done races before. And that's when I had started training for a race and just, you know, when I go, when I go into things, I go all in, I'm very competitive and so I got into the best shape of my life and really enjoyed that those races that summer. And but then it was just really hard because I didn't know how to switch gears and switch that mindset off. And that's when that whole eating disorder manifested itself. I know the eating disorders tend to resolve around the control too. I actually, I had, mm-hmm. had an eating disorder in high school. And I think, yes, it all stems from trying to have a sense of control. And when you're navigating these just crazy paths and just muddy waters and just things that 
you literally can't do anything about, but just kind of go with the flow. It feels good to have something where you can control the outcome. Stemmed about your feeling of self-worth and, you know, validating that you're able to succeed in things. And when you go through all that trauma of trying to conceive and you're failing cycle after cycle, it's not working, you start to embed those feelings inside and you start to attach yourself to those outcomes when you really shouldn't be. But that's kind of inevitably what happens because you feel like I'm a woman, I should be able to conceive. That's kind of one of my roles as a woman. And you tie yourself to it. And that's when your identity and your confidence about yourself starts to really like plummet. And you need to work on this feeling of, of worth and knowing that you're enough and, and work on that as a person, as a mother. I'm, I'm very happy for you that you got the family that you wanted and you've got, you know, five children and you're living life in LA and, you know, you're doing <laughs> so, you're doing a lot. And looking back, it's like you went through so much, but now like, look at what you have so like what advice would you give mamas who are struggling to conceive or who may be struggling with their own sense of worth? Great question. And in terms of advice that I would give moms who are struggling to maybe conceive with secondary infertility, I would say that, you know, you're not defined by what happens to you as we've been discussing already. So not tying yourself to any of the things that happened in your past. And knowing that just by your existence, you are so worthy and you are enough. Everything you're doing is enough and you're strong and you're resilient. And to remember all of those things, those are things that I call affirmations. And I use those a lot in just everyday life, but also within my meditations. And I actually have my kids do affirmations for themselves just to give me one every night before they go to bed. Helps you, even if you don't believe it at the moment, right? If you say, okay, you don't believe that you're worthy, but you say it every night. Maybe you look in the mirror and you say it to yourself like 10 times. And then over time, you, you know, you can start to believe it because whatever you're feeding into your mind, that's what it's holding on to. So if you're feeding it negativity and all of this stuff, well, that's all you've given it. And so that's all it knows. But if you start to add in some phrases here and there, then then it kind of is a little mixed up and it needs to see that new messaging that you're sending it. Yeah. So that's why I love just saying that whatever it is that you need to tell yourself to help you feel empowered and strong and ready to take on the day, then use that as your affirmation or if you want to call it a mantra in your meditation, use that. And I saw a big shift with my son. We did it for a year where he looked in the mirror and it is profound when all of a sudden, just out of the blue, it'll click. There's I agree. A big change. No, I love the affirmations. I need to get better at doing it for myself, but I try to do it for my daughter. She's almost three and I don't know where she gets it from. I mean, I will admit I'm a little bit of a girly girl, but I'm also a tomboy. But anytime she sees like makeup or even if I'm washing my face or if she sees me like painting my nails or anything like that, she goes, mama, I'd be pretty too. I'd be pretty too. And <laughs> And then it really, and then there's been a couple of situations where that's come up and then I start feeling guilty or like, oh my gosh, 
she's, you know, this, she's thinking that makeup and this and that is synonymous with beauty. And I've got to make sure that she doesn't <laughs> like get this complex of like, you need those things in order to be pretty. And so I started doing these affirmations with her where, you know, I'll tell her and make say, I am strong. I am beautiful. And there's one other one now. I can't remember. I'm strong. I'm beautiful. I'm smart, which I've seen, you know, online, a cute little boy video. And he was doing that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I need to do that more with my daughter. So now like every night before we go to bed, it's the same kind of thing, but we'll make it into a song. But I, I totally believe believe that affirmations and staying positive will help you to yield those positive things in your life. Because when we stay in that negative hole, and like when I think about that, you know, I think about Eeyore, it's like he's always just so sad. And when we wallow in that, in that sadness, I mean, it's okay to, to, to be sad. It's okay to wallow in that for a while, but eventually you've got to climb out of that hole because things can get better. But if we do, if we stay in that negative mindset, it'll feel like life will, is never better or it'll never get better. Absolutely. So you're a, a mama of five kiddos in the fast paced city of LA. <laughs> uh, what do you do to stay sane and keep it all together? The running joke is that I turned to meditation because of the five kids and that I needed to be the, you know, how the, in the storm, there's the eye of the storm that's really calm and quiet. And then all around it is this swirling chaos. And so that's me. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is what I try to embody for many of the days. Um, and and so in terms of other things that I try to do to, you know, as part of my toolkit for for self-care, Obviously, there's meditation that I do for myself. And then I already mentioned working out every day. I, I love helping other people in with not just my meditations, but even if it's something as small as a compliment or giving someone a gift, like I just really, really love doing that, those kind of gestures. And then there's self-compassion and knowing when to take breaks. So I'll, you know, my husband knows that, when it's time for me to tag out, like he can just see it and he'll be like, okay, mommy's don't talk to mommy. <laughs> Do not talk to her. <laughs> yeah, he actually said that last night to one of them and the four-year-old, four-year-old said, well, why not? She's right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Do you have to like put on your headphones or is there like a certain area of the house that you kind of uh, have to like escape to? <laughs> yeah, I will leave. I'll just go upstairs to my room. But you know, we have these, the locks aren't great in these modern houses. And so the four-year-olds actually can just push down the lock themselves and walk through the door. And no. that will just happen. <laughs> but my older ones can't. <laughs> just, that is so funny. <laughs> they just walk through. But they now know how I take care of myself in with meditation. And so I'll hear them, like I'll have my earbuds on, so it's muffled, but I'll hear one twin saying to the other, mommy is meditating quiet another one really just <laughs> loves to do whatever he wants to do and he's making noises and he's on me and the other one is really like uh, has to follow all the rules and takes his his role as being the older brother by like 11 minutes really seriously <laughs> and he'll say no she's meditating <laughs> that is so funny so do you do the guided meditation yeah. So, you know, it really depends. This is what I, a uh, common question is, well, what's the right type of meditation for me or what should I do? And it really just depends on the person. So some, and, and the day actually, and how you're feeling. So some days I just need quiet. And typically in 
the evening because I do two. I do one in the morning and one in the evening. The one in the evening, after a long day with all these kids around, I just want peace and quiet. So I'll either just do music or I'll just sit in silence. But in the morning, I like to have something that's guided that's on an app to really like kickstart my day. So whether that's a visualization or setting an intention or working with a mantra, I really like having that sort of those prompts to get me fired up for the day. And so that's why I advise people who are just new to meditation to just, you know, we have the benefit of so many different apps and so many different resources that you have the ability to try different things and see which one is best for you versus trying one thing and then it not working and then not doing it ever again. Yeah. So I have to mention that speaking of meditation apps, with your background and your voice is very just like kind of calm and soothing, you would be perfect for doing the guided meditations like on Calm app or, you know, the, all those other meditation apps out there. So you should reach out. <laughs> you should reach out to them <laughs> and try to do that because I'm like that, that would be a fun job. And I feel like you have, I mean, obviously you're, you know, you're doing something similar to that, you know, by trade, but your voice too is very oh, calming and soothing. Yeah. So what apps do you use? So for myself, I, I do use a number of different apps. Sometimes I use music. There There's so many out there. For example, you mentioned Calm. I was trained at Unplug, so I sometimes use the Unplug app. There's one that's specifically for mothers and women who are trying to conceive called Expectful. In terms of my own offerings, I put up a number of free video meditations on my website that people can try. And they're all under, they're usually around nine to 11 minutes or so. And, and I do a lot of like mindfulness meditation, a mantra based meditation, visualizations, and, and they're really just basic ones. So that if you're typically who people who are coming on are kind of curious about meditation. They don't really know where to start. So these offer them the sort of building blocks of how to eventually create a longer experience for yourself. That's great. That is awesome. So was it your children that got you into meditation or was this something that you were kind of doing before before you had children? So it's, it's kind of twofold. One, I had a friend who kept telling me, you have to try meditation. You, you would really love it. And I kept saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't turn my mind off, which is what I hear yeah, so we all say that. often. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to say the same thing. Yeah, it's a common misconception that you're supposed to turn off your mind. It's not going to happen. I'm just, you know, like, spoiler alert, you're not going to be able to shut off your mind for the complete session. It's just, even with people who've been doing it so long, it's what it is, is this, this practice of it's kind of like a dance or a roller coaster where you achieve stillness and silence and then all of a sudden you remember an email that you have to send out. Then you make your way back. You like send that thought out. You make your way back to your anchor, if it's your breath, mantra, whatever it is. And then you finally get back into that stillness and silence. And then all of a sudden you remember oh my God, I have to add this to the grocery list. And then, and then you're back <laughs> off into that space. So, you know, it's great because what it's helping you do is practice what life is like in the real world, right? You will be in the moment with your child or with work. You'll be in it. And then all of a sudden you get distracted by something. So when you're practicing this in meditation, you can then apply it into real life in terms of, okay, that distraction happened. You let it go. 
and you return back to that moment that you're in, the present moment with this person or with this task so that you can be fully present and really like execute what you need to or, or really be there for that person. So that's, you know, that's how I kind of talk about meditation to other people. But going back to your question of how I got into it, I finally listened to the friend and did some apps and I loved it. I got hooked. And then in terms of training to be a meditation teacher, I was working at the time with this fitness company and I told them that to achieve total wellness, because that's what they were trying to sell, that you really needed to also address the mental and emotional aspect of things. You couldn't just do fitness and nutrition. And that's when I signed up for this meditation teacher training program with the idea of figuring out how to do programming for where I was working. And then it turned out that I stopped working there, but I was still signed up and I decided to do it and it was perfect. And who knew that that's what was going to happen? I went into it thinking this is just for me to like really up level my current meditation practice. And then I came out of it thinking, I would love to spread this around. I think so many moms need this. I mean, especially, I mean, I think always we need, but even more so (laughs) this year, of course, mamas out there, if you have, if you do not meditate or if you do not do any breathing exercises or anything like that, this is the time to start because it truly does work. Like I I used to be against it. I wouldn't say I was against it, but I had the same excuses. I'm like, I can't just sit there and do nothing and my mind's too busy and I'm already creating my to-do list in my head, but I have gotten better from when I initially started. And, it, and I look forward to that time of just me and I do it outside of my backyard. So, you know, hearing the birds chirping and being outdoors in nature, it just, it centers you and it puts you in a different mindset so that you feel better prepared for the day, especially if you've got a lot of things that you're dealing with, the homeschooling and work and just the day-to-day things that all of the moms do. Um, right. So, so I know you do the meditation. Um, can you tell me a little bit about like the breathing techniques? Yeah, no, breathing techniques are so great. And I, I use them as the, they're really the foundation of your meditation is that witness, witnessing of your breath. And it really is just a bunch of different patterns that you can follow. So whether you do something like the 16 second breath or box breathing. So what you would do is if you want to try it out as a like talking about it, it won't take long at all, is to breathe in for four seconds and then hold your breath for four seconds and then exhale for four seconds and then hold your breath for four seconds. And now while I'm talking, you can continue to do that on your own or, you know, you can just leave it as it is. And in that, in just that short amount of time, if you were following along, you were so focused on the pattern of your breath, like if you were counting and, and, and pausing and then all of that, that you probably didn't have a moment to think about anything that you might be anxious or stressed about. And, and that's the beauty of a breathing technique is that whatever pattern you're following, it allows you to really tune into yourself, tune into your breath, how you're feeling. And, and it's, it almost introduces a pattern interrupt in your day because now you're not cycling through all the negative thoughts. You're not thinking about 
everything in the future, everything in the past. You were really just in that present moment for those 16 seconds. So that's why I love to introduce people to meditation by using breathing techniques. And the best part is, is that you can do that in a meditation, What you know, starting off with a breathing technique and, and let it just be that for a few minutes. But you can also use this in everyday life. So if you're, you know, you feel yourself getting triggered by something you read in the news or you're on a Zoom call for work and it's really frustrating, you can literally just do that right there without anyone knowing that you're doing this breathing technique to calm you down. And then for however long you do it, when you do return back into that moment that you're in, whatever situation it is, you come back in a more relaxed and a more mindful and positive state than when you left. And it helps you to make better decisions. It helps you to be to have more clarity. And it's really great for not resorting to like sort of these emotional responses, these reactive responses that we've always have been doing in the past. And so that's uh, breathing techniques are fantastic. I love using them. No, I love that. I did it along with you. And it's, it, you're right. Normally my mind is going a mile a minute and I'm like multitasking in my brain. Like, okay, I got to do this. got to do this. I got to do this. But for some reason it completely blocks it. Like you can't think about anything else. If you're focused on your breathing, like I can't have another thought when I'm counting one, two, three, four in my mind, you know, and trying to do the breathing. So to me, it's pretty much the only thing out there that really works to like keep your mind focused on one thing at a time, which I I think that moms and women in general, we need to hone that skill a little bit better because we're so used to just going a mile a minute and our brain just rattling things off. And it just, you know, it's just like a tornado of thoughts. So to be able to just focus and be still, I can see the value in, in doing that. Yeah. And the best part is you really, you know, as moms, as you mentioned, our minds are constantly racing because we have so many things that we have to juggle with kids or, and if you happen to work or everything with the house, just all of these things that by definition, your mind has so many places to go and it can seem unrealistic to, to tell a mom, okay, you need to add this one other thing to your list of things to do because, you know, it will help you out. But it seems like it can feel so daunting to have to add another thing on your on your calendar. But if you just do it for like But if it makes everything minutes, else so much easier, then yeah, it's like, come yeah. on, mamas, we have no excuse. Even yeah. if we're adding another thing, you know, a 10-minute thing to our routine in the morning, if it can make the rest of your to-do items easier and make you feel more present, then yeah, that 10 minutes is so valuable. Right. Yes. It does help you, especially if you do it in the beginning of the day, it kind of sets the tone for your day. And and if you do it for 10 minutes, great. But if you do it for less, it also helps you like just a few minutes because you're just creating a new pathway in your brain. You're just practicing like you would if you're learning a new skill like guitar or new language. Just by practicing a couple of minutes each day, you are showing your brain and making this new path to access relaxation and calm. And and so that's all you need. And if you tie it to something you already do, even better, you have a greater chance of success. So do you have anything else that you would like to say to the mamas of the world, to mom after hours listeners who are struggling with homeschooling, who are overwhelmed with just everything surrounding the pandemic and daily parenting? 
right now in this moment, just repeat after me. I am amazing. I am strong and I will get through this. And you know, these are those affirmations I was talking about. You tailor them to however you feel. But I feel like as moms, we can all relate to those three things. And we can all use that inner cheerleader in our head, just helping us and cheering us on and supporting us. And then knowing that it's okay to take a break and not to feel guilty about it. Because I know that even for myself, I often feel that way whenever I take a break. And I just have to check that at the door. Because there's no room for it. And I know that what I'm doing is to take care of myself, but that will, that trickles out to the rest of my family. So that would be my, my last advice. And I do, I'm doing this new video series on Instagram TV called the mindful mama moment. And they're just like these three minute clips that I do weekly where I talk about a, a thing that almost like a mom hack or a mom tip on how to be more mindful and, and, while you're being a mom, actually. So I love that, that. you know, check that one out. <laughs> yeah, of course. So where can our listeners find you on Instagram or watch one of your free monthly meditation videos and learn how to respond to life's hardships in a healthy way? Yeah, I'd love for you to try out one of the free video meditations on my website and it's jatluri.com, jatluri. On there is a section for the free meditations. There's also that Mindful Mama Moment uh, series. I also put that up on there. And you can also connect with me on Instagram, which is Josephine R. Atlery. There you'll find some video meditations and that Mindful Mama Moment, as well as just like daily inspiring tips for women who are trying to conceive as well as women who are mothers. Yeah, I would love to connect with all of you in that manner. Yeah, it, it was so good talking with you, Josephine. I'm I really appreciate you sharing your story with us and your pearls and words of wisdom um, for mamas who may be struggling, whether it's with fertility or just struggling because their kids won't fucking stay on the Zoom call. <laughs> I appreciate everything that you've you know offered to our listeners today, and thank you so much for coming on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. What a warrior. If you'd like to learn more about Josephine or take advantage of any of her services, Mom After Hour listeners can receive 50% off by using the promo code WARRIOR on her website. To learn more about these details, check out momafterhours.com forward slash episodes. want to thank you for supporting Mom After Hours and leaving your ratings and reviews. I appreciate you. Until next time, mamas.